We are in part three of a series that we're calling When the Fasten Seatbelt Sign Comes On. When the fasten seatbelt sign comes on in a passenger jet, uh, it usually means one of three things, that either we're taking off or landing or you're experiencing some turbulence. So we expect the seatbelt sign to be on uh, when we come in and take our seats, right? And we get settled in uh, and we're getting ready to take off and then we take off. We expect that till we reach cruising altitude. That's not, that doesn't cause any alarm for us. Uh, we don't even mind it when it comes on and we're getting ready to land. We're approaching our, our destination or at least our connecting flight. It's the third category that gives us some trouble. So the problem with sitting in a jet when the fasten seatbelt sign comes on is you don't know what's going to happen. Like you've just gotten settled in, everything's great, uh, you're enjoying your soda, you've just gotten into that book you wanted to read on the flight and suddenly, ding! and their sign comes on, and there's turbulence. And the fasten seatbelt sign, here's the thing. We don't know if it's going to be a little bit of turbulence, if it's going to be a medium amount of turbulence, or is it going to be like hold on to your seat kind of turbulence. And what we've been talking about in this series so far is that the fasten seatbelt sign in our lives just has a way of coming on over and over and over again. Like when you can look out the window and see the storm clouds, right? And without warning, you know, uh, here it is. You're in the turbulence. And even on those bright, sunny days, and you think you're in the clear, boom, the turbulence comes out of nowhere. And the thing that bothers me about turbulence is I, you never know how long it's going to last. How severe is it going to be and how long is it going to last? And I, it's like our eye, we're sitting in the plane and our eyes are just glued to that sign. I hope he turns it off. I hope he turns it off. When's he going to turn it off? Oh, oh, there's another bump. Oh, now that might be the last one. I hope he turns it off. Oh, another one. Oh, well, that must be the last one. I hope he turns it off. And the, this fasten seatbelt thing has a way of popping up in our lives and the turbulence can come from so many different places. So we've been talking about what to do in times of uncertainty. And I've prefaced each of these talks on this topic with this, that if you're not a Christian, you're not even a very religious person, or maybe you're kind of making your way back, or you don't read your Bible much, I'm telling you, if there ever was a time to get your Bible off the shelf and crack it open and blow the dust off of it, or maybe finally use the Bible app that you downloaded a long time ago and were very well-intentioned, uh, now is the time. Because whatever you're facing, I believe the Scripture speaks to it. Because the scripture reveals to us what God is like. And the scripture tells us story after story that show us the character of God. Especially we get into the New Testament and read about the life and teachings of Jesus. And we realize that he came, he said he came to show us what the Father is like. And there's a connection between who God is and what God is like and our current uncertainty, whatever that might be. So we said that there are a few words that we want to pull from this series to act on as we face uncertainty. So the first word in part one was pray. As you face uncertainty, pray. And of course, you expected me to say that because that's, that's the setting, right? It's the context. But we, we took a little bit different approach. We said that where, whenever or wherever there's uncertainty, there's always fear. And in that fear resides a desire. So somewhere packed in our fear is a desire a longing, and, and here's what I know, that if we can ever get to a place where we can identify that, like if we can dig deep enough to get to that and identify the desire, then if we can ever hand that off to our Heavenly Father, 
We will hear him whisper, I'll handle that. I'll take care of that. And in looking at the passage that week from Philippians 4, we concluded that what God has to offer us in our turbulence, in our uncertainty, is a peace that precedes anything actually being peaceful. Think about that. Do you remember the second word? Oh, wow. Maybe I'll just, I still got my notes. I could just back it up and, thank you. (laughs) It's remember. See what we did there? Uh, Yeah, now you remember, right? You remember now? How many of you remember now? Humor me, please. Okay, thank you. Uh, That means a lot to me. Uh, (laughs) So affirming. During times of uncertainty, we need to remember God's faithfulness in our past. Because his faithfulness in the past shines a ray of hope over our future. And every once in a while, in the middle of some turbulence, it doesn't even have to be severe turbulence, right? But sometimes when we experience turbulence, we tend to run off, maybe to hide, maybe to escape, uh, maybe to forget, maybe just to figure out how to cope. And God has this uncanny way of coming along and asking, what are you doing here? Like in light of everything I've done for you, in light of my faithfulness in your past, what are you doing here? Today's word is one that so far is the most challenging for me, and it's the word seek. Seek. Now, uncertainty, whether that uncertainty comes from pain or loss or doubt or whatever is causing the turbulence, uncertainty causes all of us to tend to want to do the same thing. Uncertainty tends to make us want to back into a little corner of self-centeredness because when things are uncertain, I'm primarily concerned about me. You're primarily concerned about you. When I'm in pain, I'm worried about me. When you're in pain, you're worried about you. When the future doesn't look like you hoped it would look like, you focus on yourself. And uncertainty and difficulty have a tendency to back us into this corner of self-centeredness where we have an unhealthy preoccupation with ourselves. And consequently, the tendency is to miss or to overlook what God is up to in uncertain times. The great thing about Scripture is it's a constant um, reminder that in the midst of uncertainty, listen, God is not inactive. In the midst of uncertainty, God is not inactive. Just because God may be silent doesn't mean that He's far away. Just because God may be silent doesn't mean He isn't active. We talked about the story of Elijah a couple weeks ago, and we saw this to be true. But if you and I, if we make the mistake of allowing the uncertainty that we face to cause us to be totally absorbed with our pain, our uncertainty, our anxiety, our future, our health, our family, my, 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 right? Not only will we overlook what God might be up to around us, but you and I will miss out, listen, on the grace that God wants to extend to us in our uncertainty. So there's a lot at stake. If you have your Bibles or your Bible app, uh, let's go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Let me tell you how Jesus starts this off, and then we're going to read a bunch of verses together. Um, This is is Matthew 6 in in the middle uh, uh, chapter of what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. How many of you have ever heard of the Sermon on the Mount? All right. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Is the, is the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached, or more likely a collection of bullet points from his most famous teachings. 
in Matthew 5, we find things like the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. It's Matthew 5 where Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. You ever heard that one? You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Let your light shine before others. Matthew 5 is where Jesus said, turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. And at the very end of the chapter, he said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So it was just some light and fluffy teaching uh, there that Jesus is into in Matthew 5. He continues with this upside down uh, thinking that was to become known kind of as the way, the way of Jesus, the values of the kingdom he came to bring. So if you ever wonder what you should be focusing on as a follower of Jesus, like where do I start? I have so much to learn, so much to unlearn, so much to relearn. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm really getting it. I would just encourage you read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and stay there for a while and commit to living out these values with the help and power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus continues his teaching uh, of this brand new way of life, life in the kingdom of God, in the here and now. And in Matthew 6, with, he starts with what we know as the Lord's Prayer. Isn't really the Lord's Prayer, but we call it the Lord's Prayer. Jesus wouldn't pray this prayer. Uh, this is a sample prayer for us. Uh, it wasn't, and it wasn't meant to be repeated and recited. That's fine. But it wasn't meant to be recited like it's a Pledge of Allegiance or something. It's really more of a template, uh, like an example of how to approach our Heavenly Father. If you're interested, uh, you can find one of Jesus' prayers in John chapter 17, where he prays for his disciples. And he prays for all those who would come after for us. You should check that out, John 17. And in Matthew 6, he, Jesus addresses things like spiritual practices, the practices of giving and prayer and fasting. And then he comes around and talks about worry. Then in chapter 7, as the Sermon on the Mount continues, this is the passage where he says, do not judge or you too will be judged. We like that one sometimes. And he talks about the narrow and wide gates. And he talks about true and false prophets and true and false disciples. And then finally wraps it up with the story of the wise man and the foolish man, the fool, wise and foolish builders. But it's this passage at the end of chapter 6 where I want to just focus for a few minutes. In Matthew 6, Jesus says one of the most insensitive things that he, he kind of became known for this, really, to look out over a crowd of people whom he'd never met and to say something so audacious like, don't worry. I don't know your deal. I don't know any particulars about your life. All I know is, don't worry about it. I don't know how you feel when someone tells you not to worry. Oh, yeah, I do know, because I know how I feel, right? Like when I'm halfway through my story and someone interrupts me and says, don't worry, my tendency is, um, I was going to say violence, but let me just back that up first, uh, is, the, is to think like the only reason you're saying that is because you don't, like you, you haven't heard the rest of my story yet. You interrupted me. It would be great if you would just be quiet, let me finish my story. And at the end of my story, you would say, well, no wonder, like no wonder you're worried. No wonder you've reacted the way you have. No wonder you feel the way you do. If I were in your circumstances, I would feel exactly the way you feel. None of us want someone else to tell us not to worry. We recoil at that. It's insensitive. And Jesus dives into this part of his teaching by saying, not to an individual, but to a whole group. And when he speaks to a whole group, I believe he's speaking to us today. That I know you're facing uncertain times. I know you can't pay the rent. I know you need a job. I know you kind of sit around all day and watch cable news, so you're freaked out and you're obsessed with news stories, read over dramatic music with talking heads shouting over each other. And I know you desperately want for your kids to return to God. And I know you can't sleep at night. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. But don't worry. 
And they're like, I am so sure. This is not helpful, Jesus. Sounds like a blanket statement. Don't worry. And in these verses, Jesus takes apart the worry that we bring into our uncertainty. And he says, I'll tell you what we'll do. Well, let's make a trade. You give me your worry, I'll give you something in exchange. So here's why this teaching of Jesus is so important, even though it might sound impractical at times. Because there is a grace. I want us to get this. There is a grace that is available to you from God when we make this exchange that Jesus challenges us to make. So let's read some verses. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. We're going to read and kind of talk our way through this. This is from the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, the words of Jesus. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink. So those are like basic necessities, right? We don't worry about that. Or about your body, what you will wear. It's kind of second tier of necessities. He's sort of categorizing our needs here. Here are the basic essentials of life, what you're going to eat. Don't worry about that. Next level, what you're going to wear. Don't want you to worry about that. Now, for most of us, let's bring this into our, uh, our culture. We don't get up in the morning and open the refrigerator and go, what am I going to eat? Well, maybe we do, but it's because we have so many choices, right? Like we're beyond, like we don't live in a survivalist culture. And sometimes we forget that the way we live our lives isn't the way that humans have always lived. It isn't the way, listen, that it is even today for a good portion of cultures around the world. The very idea that, you know, I'm not sure what I'm going to eat today, we think that means from which of the many food items available to me in my own pantry, in my own refrigerator, will I choose to eat today? Or I need to make a list of things to buy when I stop at the store on my way home from work today. What should I put on my list? And it's not to mention all the options available to us at dozens of restaurants within driving distance. When he says, don't worry about what you're going to eat, he's talking to people who never knew what they were going to eat from one day to the next because they didn't stock up on food. They couldn't store foods. It wasn't even that long ago that this was true even in North America. Like you couldn't store foods for very long. They never knew how many times they would eat in any given day or what kinds of meals they would, they would be. So we don't typically have those exact worries about food. But let, let me just say this. If you do... Like if you're at a place where you're not sure where your next meal is coming from and your fridge and your pantry are pretty bare and things are pretty tight and you have to choose between heat and food, come talk to me. Because you're surrounded by people this morning who don't want you to have to go without and would be happy to give from their abundance, right? Right, okay. We do have the same kinds of worries, even though we may not worry about the same things. There are those things that we think are essential. There are things that are essential. Then there are things that we think are essential. Like, how am I going to get through school? How am I going to get my kids through school? How am I going to make the mortgage payment? How am I going to pay for heating oil this winter? What are we going to eat this week with what we have in the bank? And then, of course, there's always something breaking down unexpectedly that has to be paid for. What am I going to do? Then there are the secondary things. Will I get asked to the prom? Am I ever going to get married? Will I ever get a raise? Will I ever find a better job? And all these kinds, both those tears consume us emotionally, and that's what we tend to worry about. In Matthew 6, to worry in this passage means to be, to be consumed by. It means to pursue or to chase after or to allow your emotions to kind of close in around these unrealized issues to where it's all that we think about. 
And Jesus says, don't do that. And he goes on, it's a good thing he does, because otherwise it just seems like he's being really insensitive. He says, is, uh, is not life more than food? Now, depending on the translation that you're using or that maybe that you're used to using, the text might say, uh, uh, is not life more important than food? And the reason some of us, or some of the, some of the newer translations don't include the word important uh, in this verse is because in the Greek text, the word important isn't there. But in some English texts, like the original NIV, they just, they just stuck it in there because they thought it read better. Uh, but now in the latest version, like of the NIV, which I like to use, it's nearly 12 years old now, they left important out of here because literally it says, is not life more than food? And the body more than clothes? So he, he asks, he's asking us this, this difficult question that none of us want to acknowledge because it makes us look kind of foolish. He says, wait a minute, you just stack up all the stuff that you are accustomed to worrying about. Friendships and relationships and family stuff and kids stuff and finances and my job and my education and my health. Most of these things I have no control over really. And you just stack up all this stuff and then you step back and look at it and you ask yourself this question. Is that really what life is about? Like is this stack of stuff all there is to life? Like is that life? And all of us would say, well, yeah, some of it's important, but there's more to life than what's in the stack of stuff I worry about. So the implication is this. Then why in the world, if you know in your heart that that stack of stuff that we worry about isn't life, like there's more to life, this isn't even the most important stuff. If we know that in our heart, then why in the world do we commit so much time and so much emotional energy to that? To which probably our gut response would be, well, because we're Americans? Uh, I don't know, because it's what we're used to? Because we have so much power to control all this stuff and affect so much change? I think Jesus would say, no, no, no. It's because you don't know the correct thing to focus your attention on. So yeah, there are some there are things you need to be concerned about, but you've allowed yourself to be consumed with the things that you know in your heart, oh, they're important, but you know it's not life. Then before we can even answer the question, because it is a rhetorical question, but it does elicit some kind of an internal response, Jesus continues, verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. So they don't invest, they don't save, they don't have 401ks or IRAs. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? In other words, if I'm going to go to the trouble, Jesus speaking, if I'm going to go to the trouble of creating a system that takes care of animals, how much more confidence can you have that your heavenly Father is going to take care of you? And we're like, well, I don't see how it's going to happen. And God says, that's the point. Like, you don't see it. Don't put your confidence in a system designed by humans. Don't put your confidence in your abilities. Don't put your confidence in your attempts to predict and control the future. Put your confidence only in me. This is challenging because... When my life is a wrinkle-free life, like isn't that what we're always striving towards? We are, let's, let's own it. We're just working towards the wrinkle-free version of our lives. And when that's the case, everybody's healthy, everybody's wealthy, everybody's doing good. You know, the tendency is to think, haven't I made things great? Look what I've, I've done all right here. The tendency is to have confidence in my ability to control this wonderful life that I've created. But when things start to fall apart, there's nothing I can do about it, I tend to think, hey, God, are you, are you going to do something? 
And God, I think, is saying, well, I've been doing something all along. You haven't chosen to be a part of it, but things you know, have been so good that you've forgotten. You've lost sight of who's behind this thing. And just as I've taken care of you in the past, I'm going to take care of you in the future. So what are you worrying about? Well, I'm, I worry, I'm worried about the things changed. Oh, that's what you're worried about? What I'm worrying about is like things have changed and I can't control the change. And, but if you're going to take care of me, then I guess I don't really need to worry. And I think, I think Jesus is like, exactly, that's my point. We can take care of birds. I'm going to take care of you. Trust me. But God, I don't know how it's going to work out. Yeah, exactly. The birds don't know how it's going to work out either. He says, but I've blessed you with the ability to plan and project. And that's all wonderful and useful. But don't depend on that. I'm God. You don't need to worry. That should be reassuring for us. Verse 27. Jesus says, can any one of you, so it's like he's saying, if you're going to worry anyway, who among you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? So like, it's almost like he's saying, go ahead and, and worry and then come back in a week or so and report to me. I'd like a report. Well, you know, Jesus, last week I worried an average of, according to my phone app, my worry app, I worried an average of 90, they're like, is this one of those? I don't know. There, I worried an average of 93 minutes a day. And as a result, I got nothing. Well, I got an ulcer, and I got high blood pressure, and I got a wife who won't speak to me, and I got kids who can't get my undivided attention, and I got a coping behavior that's going to destroy me, but I'm just getting started. <laughs> what do you get for your worry? Nothing good. So Jesus is saying, okay, let's stop, let's stop worrying. I know it's a pretty insensitive thing to say, but I would just say consider the source and hear the words in Jesus' voice. Stop worrying. You worry about things that aren't even life, and then when we're done worrying, what do you have? Nothing. So he continues. Gives us a second illustration, verse 28. Why do you worry about clothes? And, and, and for us, do you know what this is about? you know what he's speaking into? He's speaking into image. It's about image. Especially in this culture, that's what it spoke to. And we have all kinds of things that speak to our image. For us, it's where we live and what kind of house we live in and what we drive and where we travel and what we wear, where we wear it, and the image we project on Sunday mornings and the image we've curated on social media. He says, think about the time that you spend thinking about and retooling and propping up your image whether it's this upgrade or that or the clothes or the car or the vacation or the house or the furnishings or the image, 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 image. He says, you worry about that. He says, see how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. Here's the deal. Spend a little time outside. It doesn't really matter what time of year. Spend some time, I don't know, in Acadia. Perhaps you've heard of it. We have a national park in our backyard. Spend some time there. Spend some time outdoors, somewhere, anywhere. Go to museums like natural history museums. I'm gonna t we serve the most outrageously creative God. Have you noticed? If you're like, well, not so much in the wintertime. Oh, no, even in the winter. Yeah. He's a God who loves variety. I mean, on your best shopping day with your credit card in hand, you can't compete with God when it comes to fashion and variety. And we worry. 
And God's going, would you just look around? Open your eyes and look around. Have an awareness of your surroundings. I mean, you're all concerned with your image. I can do more for your image. I can handle that. You can depend on me that you are, you're, you're, you depend on me for things that are here today and gone tomorrow. But here's the point. Like, yeah, do your best. Apply yourself, but don't worry. Don't stress. Don't give it an ounce of emotion. And if you wonder, to what extreme am I willing to go? Just look at nature. And yet, we worry. Those flowers, by the way, that look so incredible, and all those leaves that thousands of people come here to see in the fall that we just take for granted, they don't even plan it. It's not on their calendar. They just pop up out of the dirt, or they just do their thing at the end of those branches at a certain time, certain week of the year, and it's incredible. And meanwhile, we worry about stuff, and we stress, and we whine. Verse 30 says, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Or what shall we drive? Or where will my kids go to school? Or where will the money come from? And what about my retirement plans? This gets real convicting. Verse 32. For the pagans... I won't ask if we have any pagans here this morning, but what's a pagan in this context? In this context, a pagan uh, is a person who just doesn't believe in God at all or doesn't believe in uh, the God of Israel in this context or worships a false god or gods. So essentially, a person who doesn't believe in the God that Israel worshipped, who worships false gods, all they know is a life bookended by birth and death. So this life is all that there is to be concerned about. And it's all about like right now. He says, even the pagans run after all these things. So a person who doesn't even believe in God worries and stresses over what they're going to wear, what they're going to drive, where they're going to work, all this stuff. And they're they're the ones who are absorbed with worrying about all of this. Because after all, like what else do they have to worry about? This is it for them, right? There's like you live this life and you die, so get what you can. And so he says, look, you believe in the God who sustains you. So why would you allow uncertainty and fear of the future, that stuff that comes from the turbulence, why would you allow that to back you into the corner of self-centeredness? Because that's where all the unbelievers are. Most of us here this morning are Christ followers. We're God seekers. We believe that he's a savior of the world. We want to live out the values of the kingdom of God in the here and now. And yet we often let our fear of the future back us into the same corner that all the unbelievers are in. So I read that and I realize, yeah, that's true. When I think about the things that I worry about, when I think about the things that you tell me you worry about, And then I compare that with a list of the typical uh, person who doesn't even believe in God, right? I'm afraid our list wouldn't be that much different. Like we're pursuing and chasing and spending emotion on the same temporary things that people who don't see beyond this life are worried about. That's why Jesus could say to a crowd of people, I haven't even heard your story, but don't worry. Verse 32. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Hey, if you want to pursue something, you want to focus on something, you want to eagerly chase after and seek something this morning, here it is, verse 33. Seek first. That is, you're going to seek a lot of things. You're going to pursue a lot of things, but put at the top of your concern list His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be what? Given to you or added to you as well. Jesus says, in times of uncertainty, seek. In times of uncertainty, don't worry, seek. 
Like, well, I'm not going to worry. What am I going to do? Seek. So I'm not going to worry. I'm going to seek. What am I going to seek after? Jesus talks about that. In times of uncertainty, when you don't know how it's going to work out, and you're like, I need to take all of my time and, to, and all my talents and all my resources and all of my energy and just focus on me, 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 me right now. I've got to figure this out. I think he's saying to us, I want you in those times to do something that is actually very counterintuitive. I want you to look around and ask the question, in the midst of my personal uncertainty, what can I do to further God's kingdom, not mine? Like, well, on the other side of the uncertainty, when things kind of settle down, when the seatbelt sign is off, the turbulence behind me, sure, absolutely. No, I think Jesus is saying right in the middle of it, right in those situations where you are drawn towards worry, instead ask, how can I contribute to the kingdom of God in the here and now rather than my own kingdom? You know what it means to seek the kingdom of God? I think it's pretty simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. To seek the kingdom of God is to seek to live out the values of the kingdom of God. So what do I mean values of the kingdom of God? For starters, I would say it's all the stuff that Jesus is talking about in the rest of this passage, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. It's to ask the question like, God, I know what I'm worried about, but what are you concerned about? What, where's your focus? God, you show me what concerns you, and I'll focus my attention there. And I'll trust you to take care of the things that I worry about. I think that's God saying to us, that sounds like a good deal. I'll take you up on that deal. You seek first my kingdom, and I'll take care of all these other things. Here's the point. There's a grace that is available to the kingdom seeker. There's a grace that is available to the teenager, the college student, the single, the married, the empty nester, the senior adult. doesn't matter. There's a grace that's available to us in our uncertainty, in our time of need, when we say, God, instead of lying in bed at night and getting up early and worry, 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 and, and, and talking it to death with anyone who will listen, instead of all that, in those moments when the tension's rising, in those moments when the anxiety is taking over, I want to take a breath and just say, I want to seek in this moment your kingdom to live out the values of your kingdom as Jesus taught them in this very same passage in the Sermon on the Mount and throughout the Gospels. I don't want to trust you then to give me what I need. This, is, uh, this isn't irresponsible living. It's when the pressure's on and the anxiety begins to rise. It's what people who follow Jesus do. In those moments, they seek first, not their own deal, but the values of the kingdom of God. So you know what it means? It means in this time in which we live, in your community, in your neighborhood, in your school, in your workplace, in your church, in your family, wherever you do life with other humans, here's God's agenda. God is focused on and God is pursuing and he's passionately consumed with us living out the values of his kingdom in order to bring along more people into his kingdom for his glory. That's what God is up to. And the reason he's left us here and maybe, just maybe, the reason we face some of the uncertainty that we do is that God is about to do something unique through us, through our uncertainty, to bring more people into his kingdom. And the greatest tragedy for us as followers of Jesus is to get all hidden in our little corners of self-centeredness, focused on taking care of ourselves, and to miss out on what God may want to do. So Jesus says, look, we'll make a deal. I'll take care of your deal. You focus on mine. 
It's like, but it's hard, it's hard, Jesus, to focus on your thing, you know, because I got to get a better job. I just need a better job. I'm trying to graduate, and it's harder than I thought, and I got these bills to pay, and waiting on these tests from the doctor and, and my kids, and God's like, trust me. Like, trust me. I, I take care of the birds. They got no plans. They don't even know how to plan. I'll take care of flowers. They're just here today and gone tomorrow. Trust me. And then seek first my kingdom, my righteousness. That is a lifestyle that reflects my character, my values, my priorities, and all this other stuff that you're stressed about. I'll take care of that because you are so valuable to me. Again, I think probably your favorite Bible stories, your favorite Bible characters lived in the context of uncertainty. And we discover as we read their stories that in uncertain times, God isn't asleep. He's more active than ever. And so that's why we can't afford to bury ourselves under our own concerns. I think now is the time, maybe more than any other time in our lives, now is the time for you and I as believers to come out of our corners of self-centeredness. And to say, yeah, I got concerns, I got worries, I've got unanswered questions, but I want to leverage my uncertainty, and this uncertainty in my life that I seem to be living in all the time for the sake of God's kingdom. I want to seek first God's kingdom. I'm going to learn the values of the kingdom as Jesus taught them. I'm going to live them out and I'm going to trust God to give me those things that he already knows that I need. Can I let you in on a little secret? In my years as a Christian, with all the people I've met and interacted with, it appears to me people who seem to experience the intervention of God in real and tangible ways, the people that when you hear their stories and you're like, wow, God intervened, those are people who in the midst of their uncertainty found a way to seek God's kingdom first, not their own deal. And they experienced the intervention of God in ways that when you hear their story, it takes your breath away. And they weren't back hiding in the corner in the shadows somewhere saying, well, I can't come out until something changes. Instead, they came out in the middle of their uncertainty and they lived in it. And they're like, I don't know how it's going to be resolved, but if God is in the middle, if in the middle of my uncertainty, God, you, you want to leverage something in my life for the sake of your kingdom, go ahead. And God shows up. There are stories about their jobs, about their finances, about their healing, about their family, about what God did in them and through them. And somehow they found the courage and the motivation to seek God's kingdom first. And God followed through and met their needs how he chose to meet them. I can't tell you how convicting this is to me because like, I'm like you. I get all bent out of shape. Uh, I get consumed with the silliest little things and, that are honestly temporary. But here's what I want to encourage you to do, and let's do this together, and then I'm going to be done. I want to encourage you to memorize these verses. I can't memorize. Yes, you can. A lot of us have probably memorized verse 33 if you spend any time in church. Maybe you sang a song that helped you memorize it. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Some of us need to back up and go to verse 27, where it says, can any of, one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? We need to memorize it, write it down, put it up in the bathroom mirror, and tomorrow morning, I mean, like Monday mornings, you know, Mondays, and, we, and it always says, it's all, the weather's always awful on Mondays in January, and we just get up, and you know, like, we're, we just rev up the worry thing, and uh, we get all, our, view, our outlook is all distorted, and we worry ourselves all through the week, and you worry yourself to school, and you worry yourself to work, and you worry yourself through the day, and you worry yourself back home, and you worry yourself through health stuff, and kids stuff, and finances stuff, and we just worry ourselves through the week, and we don't have time for anybody else, and we just kind of got these bad attitudes, and we grumble, and we worry, and we worry. So we need to remember, can any of us, by worrying, 
add a single hour to our lives. So tomorrow, I would say maybe we need to come to God and say, God, all this stuff that I'm prone to worry about, it's not what life's about anyway. It's a stack of stuff, but it's not more than life. Like if I, at the end of the day, if I stack up, stack up all my stuff, all that stuff hasn't added that much that's good and eternal to the life of my family and, and the things like my finances and my relationships and my marriage and all that. So today, God, here's the thing. I'm, gonna, I'm going to seek first the values of your kingdom and then I'll trust you to take care of all the stuff that I usually worry about. And let's see what happens. You do that on Monday and then you do it again on Tuesday. Then you do it again on Wednesday and again on Thursday. I know my days of the week. And then uh, you do it like every day. There are going to be times it seems like this is even more stressful, you know? We're going to be tempted to be like, oh, yeah, but I better take that one back. That one I need to hold on to. We're going to, because like, I think I, I need to worry about that right now. It's very pressing. And God, you don't seem to be doing anything about it. It's not as important to you as it is to me, obviously. So I'm going to hold on to this one. You don't worry about this as well as I do, you know? But if somehow as followers of Jesus, think about this, that what if somehow a whole bunch of Christians, like a whole church, decided, you know what, we're going we're gonna to look for opportunities to pursue God's kingdom in the here and now, instead of worrying about what's around the corner. And every time I'm tempted to worry, I'm going to remember, can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? No. So I'm going to make the trade. God, you worry about him, you worry about her, you worry about them, you worry about that thing and my finances, you worry about the latest national crisis. In the middle of what's going on around me, is there a way, through my words or my actions, to further your kingdom? And that's difficult, but that's the opportunity we have as believers and as followers of Jesus right in the middle of our uncertainty. The uncertainty that fills the pages of Scripture was not just for the benefit of those who faced the uncertainty. It was for the benefit of the people who heard about and who later read about, who later were challenged by their response to their uncertainty. So our response to our turbulent and uncertain circumstances has the same kind of potential for the sake of the kingdom of God, here and now. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, every time we open to the Sermon on the Mount, we, we can just, we're just expecting for that to land right in our backyard, right where we do life. It's so, if we're being honest about it, it's so convicting. Um, it seems like impossible. It's so upside down but we also know it's what you've called us to. This life in the kingdom, as you've described it, to live out values of you, as you've taught them and, and, and exampled for us. So God, I pray that you'd help us just to kind of immerse our minds with the values of the kingdom of God to the point where they become second nature for us and through the power of your Holy Spirit to live that out in all of our interactions with others. Knowing that we can trust you with all this stuff that, that stacks up that isn't life. I pray that as we engage in this, this discipline, as we learn what it is to seek the kingdom of God first, to trust you with everything else, May our light shine into the darkness and may the glory go to our Heavenly Father. Thank you for what you're 
teaching us, what you're doing in our lives. We thank you in Jesus' name.